0: Welcome to PharmaSoul Chronicles, They Said What? podcast series. I'm your host, Denise Morris, and I will be your guide through the ups, the downs, and the everything in between of my journey as a Black woman in the pharmaceutical industry. From triumphs to trials to those, you've got to be kidding me moments, I'm here to share it all. So let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of They Said What? podcast series. I'm very excited about this episode, one, because I have a co-host, and two, it shows a different perspective where I was the one who ended up on the end of the personal growth due to my own ignorance and short-sightedness. Now, before we get started, I do have a few disclaimers that I think are ever so important, particularly for this episode. Today, we are discussing our own experiences, thoughts, and observations. They may or may not reflect the thoughts or feelings of others, and we want to be mindful of that. Although I actually would be surprised if many cannot relate on some level to what we are going to talk about today. Secondly, you have probably gotten comfortable with the 10 minute episodes that I've been doing. This one is going to be longer, and this is because there are two of us instead of just myself. And also because I do not want to shortchange what we're going to talk about, and I really want to give this important conversation the space and time that it needs. But now that I've gotten that out of the way, you already know who I am, but I would like to give our special guest co-host an opportunity to introduce themselves. So co-host, I'm gonna turn it over to you.
1: Hello, I am Jerica and Denise and I, which you will hear about, work together. <laughs> Um, It's a reclacity some years ago, met each other. And as you can see, we are still very much (laughs) involved, good friends. But I come from a different background in terms of career-wise. So I was a veterinary technician in my early career and then also worked in toxicology research, working with animals and currently work in animal
0: health. Awesome. So this conversation that we're going to talk about, you guys know what the topic is, happened a couple of years after we had worked together. And I don't know how the conversation started, but at some point, I think, Jericho, you told me how you felt about me when I first joined the group that you were in. So you were already in the group. And I was a newbie, and you used a term or a phrase to describe what you thought of me once I first started. And so I think it's important for you to tell the story because I heard it a little bit later on the back end. And then we'll get into a little bit more of a discussion on our different viewpoints on what that might mean.
1: Yeah. So we, like you said, we were talking, and I remember saying something to the effect of, Yeah, I just thought you were this crazy African who had just come in there and thought that everything was going to be this way or that way. And we both kind of laughed and you were like, what does that mean? (laughs) So to give some background to that, I had been at the company that we worked in the same group together for a few years prior to you joining. And so... There were some experiences that I had at that company that kind of contribute to what later would become our interaction and I think growth together even. And when we talk about the phrase, one thing that I do want to clarify is that the term, it's actually not a phrase, it's two words. So it's not crazy African. You could almost put a comma between crazy, comma, African. So just to clarify that part. But let's start with the crazy part, (laughs) because I think that one's a lot more simple to explain. At this particular company, we were worked like dogs. Literally, it was definitely a very stressful job. We had tight timelines all the time, timelines on top of timelines. I mean, it was just, it was insane. And people were so stressed and so burned out and, and everyone was just kind of, Uh, everyone had the same general feeling, almost like impending doom every day. Like, oh, what's what what new deadline will we have today that we're going to have to meet that there's no way that we could meet it. So when you came in (laughs) to the group, you came and you kind of had this attitude like, okay, this is the deadline. We're going to do this and this is and we're going to do that and we're going to finish it in this time and this time and it's going to be done and You had this assumption that like, oh, if this is what I'm being asked to do, why would I not do it? Or why would I not be able to do it? And I think everybody probably starts off thinking that way. (laughs) But I knew like, girl, what do you think this place is? It's not going to happen like that. So that's kind of where the crazy part came in. Crazy for thinking that the job was just going to be the job. So that's the that's the simpler part. Now let's talk about the African part. In my personal experience, and this is certainly not everyone's experience, but working in professional settings, I had found, or at least in my experience, had found that women of color in terms of African-American women, so African-American women from in the U.S., we had a particular behavior and conduct in professional settings. And there's definitely different arguments about whether it should be that way, whether it shouldn't. You know, there's a whole kind of spectrum of opinions, but you always needed to look professional. You don't want to make us look bad. And by us, quote unquote, I mean other African American women, right? Because somehow we all represent all of us, which obviously we know that that's not true, but just given the perspective. And so we had to dress a certain way. We had to behave a certain way in terms of our mannerisms and a lot of times I would say probably diluted mannerisms from kind of what we just naturally do. And you came in and the very first thing that I noticed was the headscarf. Okay. (laughs) And I need people to understand when I say headscarf, I don't mean bonnet. I'm not talking about that. I it was it, they were very pretty, like headscarves that you would wear as a part of an outfit. Very pretty, colorful, and in my experience, we don't wear a scarf to work. Even if it is a really pretty, matches, coordinates with the outfit, you know, we we don't do that faux pas, almost, for us. So then I thought, well, she must be African. <laughs> She's not from here. And not in a negative way, like, oh, no, African. But just from a from a level of ignorance in terms of... Ex- to different people of African descent, right? I have met and interacted with many people of actual African descent. Interacted with people of Jamaican descent, even Haitian. You were from somewhere different, and look, my my previous ignorance is going to show here. I did not know that there were people, let alone black people, in the Bahamas. <laughs> OK, this is just I'm just being full disclosure. Just I didn't know that there were black people in the Bahamas, in the Bahamas. I thought it was this island place that you go for vacation and that there's just, I don't know, like like resort workers, or, you know, just I didn't think people actually resided in the Bahamas. OK, so I wouldn't have made that connection. And not that I necessarily would have made that connection anyway, because we didn't know each other that well yet. but. You came in and you had a certain pride about you and a certain fearlessness that at that point in my life, I was not used to. Because in my experience as an African-American woman, you come into a professional setting and you have to, quote unquote, behave a certain way. You don't draw extra attention to yourself. You don't be too opinionated about things because then you'll be seen as complaining or too outspoken or too or too lively. Um, you would come and you would wear these colorful dresses. And it was just like, what is she? Like, you know, you need to be in like black and white or neutral colors. Again, they weren't dresses that were like inappropriate or anything like that. They were just different than what I had experienced. It was uh, clothing, it was mannerisms, and then the hair. So coming up, and this is one of the things that I I just dread most about my upbringing and things that I experienced coming up, but there's a certain way that you wear your hair, especially in professional settings or out the house. People wear braids. I mean, women, we, we wear braids and stuff like that, but it was almost like it needed to be very tidy. It needed to have a certain look to it. And I, I I couldn't even tell you like at that point in time, even I couldn't put my finger on it and say that, oh, it needed to be exactly this. I just, in my mind, had an idea of like, oh, you know, I definitely wouldn't wear uh, like cornrows straight to the back to work. Something you we do all the time as a child. My, I got my hair rolled, braid, latch hook, you know, a little bit of everything, right? Straighten curl, whatever. So you would come in and at one point you had like a certain type, you had like a certain type of wig on one day. Okay. And then you came in the next day and it was like a totally different wig. Like it was so strange to me, right? She has on a different wig. Does she know that people are going to notice that it's different? And then they're going to know that it's a wig. It was this weird thing of, well, we have to keep some secret. And then at one point, I think even you came in, you had nothing. You had no wig, nothing on. It was your short hair. And I was just, this girl is just breaking all the rules. And I have found that type of confidence in African women. Again, this is my experience. But in my experience, they didn't have the same hang-up and and strange fears about different things as African-American women. They can come, they can wear a beautiful headscarf. Or they could wear no hair scarf. They could have short hair, long hair, braided hair, uh, dreadlocks, twists, bald, shave. They could do all those things. And I would expect that from them. Not that it was a bad thing, but like if I saw an African or woman of African descent with those types of hairstyles, it wouldn't set off any flag for me because it's like, oh, yeah, well, they, you know, they can do that. They they it's like they have the confidence. But is it really a confidence thing? Right. And that's something that. I think over the years that we've both kind of learned on opposite sides of that, why this kind of strange subliminal and subconscious thinking exists, but that was my perspective at the time.
0: Thank okay. you so much. It's great. And I think it it also sets up the scene. So after having this conversation with you, and honestly, I think it was during the time that I was a bit on a precipice of my own racial awakening. I really started thinking about it and like what that really meant. And hearing you talk about how it was just not common thing for you to do and how you had to look in at a certain way. And so in my own reflection, it's not necessarily that I came up or coined a particular term, but I realized that I had some privilege and that privilege came from my upbringing and ethnically where I came from. Naturally, one can then label that as an immigrant privilege. I came to this country untouched by the stressors that African Americans have had to deal with, so in preparation for this, wanted to do some research, and it's really not a term that's used a whole lot. There are a couple of articles here and there in different versions or different aspects of it. So I went to chat GPT because that's what we do right now, and I said, "Hey, what's immigrant privilege and the TLDR is, well, it's not really a term that we use in a positive way, which in itself is, is kind of sad because we often think of immigration and the aspects of it. It's generally not discussed in a positive way, but it said, Hey, well, you know, if you want to think of some positive aspects of it, immigrants can bring unique skills and perspectives, uh, strong community networks, access to open opportunities, motivation and resilience. And I think that that last one is what's important to what we're talking about now, right? So that motivation and resilience, I just have resilience, I could be whatever I wanted to be. For context for people, I am from the Bahamas. Our country is about 85%. So growing up, almost everybody looked just like me. The leader of the country, my teachers, my peers, my doctor, the lawyers, I didn't quite understand this idea of race concept. I mean, we had colorism. It was kind of very subtle. It wasn't something that stopped me or didn't motivate me. And because almost everyone looked like me, my teachers said, you could be whatever you want. You can excel. The parents felt like you can be a doctor and all these other things. So growing up, I was never told I couldn't be. My light in that sense was never dim. So when I came to this country, I opened up the door and I'm like, here I am. It didn't mean that I didn't have racial issues that followed me along the way. I just perceived them differently. I was 19 when I got here. I had already started to form a sense of self. And so I think you saw some aspect of my confidence. The downside to that, though, was what that really did for me in my own ignorance when I came into this country. Coming from a predominantly Black culture where I was celebrated for what I brought, people didn't see me as a unified race or person. They saw capabilities. I would often say, I don't see color. I guess for me, I was convinced that people saw what you brought to the table and judged you based on character or your merit and not the color of your skin. Even when I had the racial, racial incidences, I always said, oh, those, those were teachable moments. So at the time, when you're meeting me, this was my experience in the world. I was still fierce and untouchable. Can you, and I just want to, I'm sorry, I just want to
1: interject because something you said, where you said you, you didn't see color, you assumed that the world would see you for Your capabilities, your talents, your you know your individualism and who you were, not based on color. And I just wanted to add the point that in my upbringing, it almost felt like everything was based on your race, and that was not always true. But that's the perspective that we were almost marinated in growing up. Was they don't want you to do this, they don't want you to do that. You'll never be able to get ahead or do this because the white person will always this, that or the other. So I just want to add in too that. That's the perspective you had when we met and the perspective that I was still kind of growing out of because it, it takes time to like really see the world and start to understand the truth, which there may be some truths in all of what we're saying, but that we were kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I want to point that out because That's important to all of this.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And so that's that's where you met me. And then I think at some point when the conversation came up and you were finally comfortable telling me what you really felt about me. I was kind of going through a little bit of a self-realization of my own. I think that's why we were able to have such an honest conversation at that point. And it it stemmed from me moving to Buffalo. And I do. I love the people of Buffalo. I have great friends in Buffalo, but it was a racial awakening. And it was interesting because it didn't happen in Iowa. It didn't happen in Wisconsin. It didn't even happen in Florida. And so some of the things that happened after moving there were, for the first time, I heard the phrase, you people. Okay, And it was in a very tense interaction, but it hit deep. You people, what does that mean? It's subtle but it is discriminatory. I'm talking about a group, but I'm not going to say who that group is. It was the first time that I was called the Black girl. So now from these being teachable moments, it's like you're automatically labeled. It doesn't matter how you speak, what you have, the letters behind your name, you are the Black girl. And it was, and I don't know if you remember, but it was the first time that... I was aggressively profiled by the police. And I don't know if you. It, it was just it was very traumatic. I remember, of course I remember. you,
1: you yeah. were traumatized, essentially, which and I remember thinking, like, has she never been put like in my head, like this girl ain't never been
0: pulled over and never been had yeah, to but deal were with. Always pleasant moments. Right. The one time I was actually pulled over. I was going five miles over the speed limit. And I even he's like, hey, you were going five miles over the speed limit. Have a nice night. I had never had a real black experience in America. And then I started thinking, and I'm I'm very embarrassed, but I think it's important to say my viewpoints because when I came to this country, not seeing color, thinking I can do and be any and everything. I did not understand African-Americans either. So you didn't understand me, but I didn't understand this culture. Why can't they be successful? I'm here and I have a PhD. It's that I am the same color and I'm successful. So color is not an issue. I remembered having friends. I actually remember this. It was an a African-American a friend of mine. And she was like, every time I go into Express, they follow me around. And I'm like, well, every time I go into Express, they want to offer me a job. So again, it's a you problem, not a me problem. Therefore, it's not a color problem. I think that it was the biggest blessing that I could have gotten spending that time in Buffalo and just seeing the world through the eyes of what African-American must have dealt with every single day. I remember calling a friend and I called him up and I said, I'm so sorry. I said, I never knew what it was like to be an African-American in this country until now. And I'm struggling with my experience over two or three years. I cannot imagine what it's like for someone where that's their entire life. It was privilege. I was reading an article um, when I was, you know, doing my research. And it was written uh, in the Harvard Political Review titled The Other Fates of Privilege. And I would suggest I am going to provide the link for people that you read. it. It's short. It's excellently written, and it was a first generation Ethiopian American that wrote it, Amin Gasha. And there was a quote from it that I just had to bring it in because I think it sums up what privilege is and what privilege does until it doesn't. She said, To look at racism as an outsider, though, is to exclude oneself from a narrative that cares very little about personal experiences or perceptions. In truth, Although relatively affluent people of color and children of immigrants may be brought up in environments starkly juxtaposing the African-American canon, it is only a matter of time before one comes face-to-face with the experiential component of racial injustice. By then, every facet of the privilege found in such immigrant communities, exclusive cultural distinction, communal disassociation. And microaggressive ignorance will have been undermined by the harsh realities of a society that not only sees color, but vilifies it. And Buffalo was where I finally started to see color. Ethnically, everything about me is bohemian. And I used that to show my pride, but I also used that to separate myself from an entire group because somehow I felt like it it gave me an edge. And I didn't know that at a time. And for me, One, the conversation with you and also some of the things that I was going through really introduced me to this idea of immigrant privilege that some of us bring with us and are not even aware of. I mean, that was my side. So you kind of told from your perspective, we heard a little bit about my perspective. And I think over the years, we've had a lot more discussions about it. So I have talked about my own ignorance and growing in understanding that the best we can be to each other is allies. But I want to spend some time talking a little bit more about your journey. And then I think we're going to bring it back to maybe some of the things that we still do experience, particularly with, in our field.
1: Yes. Obviously, you didn't know at the time. That's what I thought about you. We were just meeting and we were working. And sooner or later, the bottom did drop out on a lot of things. And you did end up learning what I already knew about the group and slash the company, which was that it was just overwhelming in, in that place. And so we did kind of maybe trauma bond a little bit. <laughs> we, definitely trauma we definitely did. Um, but we have become like peanut butter and jelly, probably. <laughs> we. I've just managed to stick. We've actually been friends longer than we worked together there. (laughs) So that's an interesting point to think about that that little in that little bit of time, we formed a lifelong friendship. But I do think that there was and maybe it was because of the trauma. (laughs) There was an openness that we both had to befriending each other and and understanding each other more. And the interesting thing is that after those initial interactions and we've been friends over the years obviously I I grew in a number of ways so at the beginning of this episode you talked about how you grew out of ignorance in a number of ways and I did as well I mean the crazy african <laughs> crazy comma african my assumption that you were african because of the way that you dressed and how you had your hair and the you know the pride and the chip on the shoulder that you had about, you know, working where we were working. And I came to learn that, okay that's first of all, (laughs) to just label somebody as an African just showed that I had not had enough experiences yet in the professional world with other African-American women. So that's the first thing. And I can say that at that point in my career, I had not. I had other experiences with African-American women, but I just had not, the, there was an N of like five <laughs> at that point. I won't say that that number has gone up significantly and it's been 10, 12 years or so. Unfortunately, that's that's a that's another discussion, but I have had more and I've learned over my career. And I think the pessimistic view that I had working within those types of environments has changed over the years. And I've come to kind of know myself a little bit better and appreciate myself a little bit better. I believe there was a point later on, not at the group, in the group that we worked in together, but at another place that I worked that was worse. And I was struggling and I didn't have, I think I didn't have money to get my hair done. And I was like, all these things are going on. And I had to braid my hair in cornrows to the back because I had, there was nothing like I couldn't Do anything else with it. I didn't want to straighten it because I didn't want to like burn it out and stuff because I was not good at doing it. So I had to braid my hair and wear it to the back to work. Okay. But I had reached a point where I was so burned out, I didn't even care. I was like, I don't care. They can think I'm whatever just because I have braids. And I had to like grow out of that stuff, like, oh my God, who cares? I've never saw someone at work that had their hair a certain way and been like, oh, okay, she must not be professional or she must not be this, that because she has those. I never felt that way about people. But for some reason, I felt that if I did it, that's what people would think about me. Had to grow out of that. I can remember at at later on at another place where I worked, Again, there's always this kind of below the surface feeling when, as an African-American woman going into a new space, how are they going to feel about me? Are they going to treat me a certain way? Are they going to think that I'm not smart because of what I look like or, you know, how I talk? And I remember interviewing at a place and one of the women who came in to interview me was an African-American woman. And there was this moment where we kind of locked eyes. And I was like, oh, my God, it's, you know, it was it just it, I know for some people, they just won't get it. It's like, OK, so a, a black woman interviewed you. Well, I can tell you that I, I've been working since I was 16 years old. I've probably only ever had two African-American women interview me for a job. One of those was in fast food. And that's not to say that there was anything negative about fast food. I'm just saying that that was big for me working in animal health, working in biopharma. I have not interacted with a lot of other African-American women. And it does create a safe space for you because when you're in these environments and everyone else is different, it kind of rearms some of those negative sentiments that you were marinated. And as a child of they don't want you there. You're not supposed to be there. They're not going to let you stay there for long. Right. Like all these things that, you know, I definitely would never (laughs) teach my kids, but it, you know, it does create a safe space for you, knowing that there is someone else there that that you feel like, okay, we can survive. We can survive together. We we can support it. But it's not just us on an island. We are interacting with the people around us, white people, Indian, Asian, Hispanic, all different the whole diaspora of African descended people were interacting with all these people. And as an African-American woman, you have to gain a level of comfort and trust, which is hard, especially if you have those negative situations.
0: So I actually want to go back and I'm, again, I'm going to put you on the spot. We're we are going to just glaze the surface of this topic. But you talked about the book, right? <laughs> it- I just have to say there is the look and what the look does is without saying anything, you're saying a lot. Yes. I see you, you see me, right? So it was an African-American woman that interviewed you and you had that look and I'm going to talk about it because in my career initially in my own ignorance, I didn't give, understand, or appreciate the look. And what I mean by that is if I saw someone That looked African American, I ran the other way. I gravitated towards the others group. And by others, I mean everything else but African American because I had this idea that, again, I'm associating with a group that's somehow inferior. And if I do that, then people are going to look at me as a part of that group. And I'm not because I'm different because I don't see color and it's on my merits and they don't have the same merit. And after growing, I give that look a lot. Then I started to notice. Was that other immigrant groups that kind of look like me still operate in that space of avoiding Mm -hmm. the look as much as possible? So, you have thoughts on that? I don't know, but it's to point out that this is still a sore and interesting dynamic between people of color. And that's what's interesting about this. We're not bringing in any other group, we're talking about our own. Demeaning, I guess, and that's what I did of other groups that look exactly like us. And rather than us being allies, certain immigrant groups tend to separate themselves as much as possible. And you're smiling, so,
1: so yes, because this this was something I had I had thought about earlier. But as African Americans, when we go into spaces, we know that we see each other, especially when we're in a space where we're the minority. If we see each other. We're trying to see each other. We're looking. We're like, okay, when they turn around, they're going to look at me. We're going to look. We're going to have we're going to make contact. That is not something that we typically did with other races of African descent. Okay, so, for example, an African person, we did. We never really share the look with people of 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 direct African descent. And what I mean by that is like it it typically was not reciprocated. And there was always a feeling, my personal experience, that they did not feel like uh, connected to us as African-Americans. They didn't feel like we are the same people. And as African-Americans in this country, it's really interesting because a lot of times we kind of think we know something Mm -hmm. that other people of African descent and even some other immigrants don't know yet or haven't figured out yet. And that's, we're all really the same. You just don't know it yet. You may be from Africa or from the Bahamas or from somewhere else even. And you may think that you're separate from us, you know, that that we are somehow inferior or not good enough because we haven't taking advantage of the things that that you've been able to take advantage of, which is not necessarily true. But you you may think that, but at some point, there will be a leveling of the sand and you will realize that we actually are in the same, we're not the same, but we are in the same boat, so to speak, in many respects. And so that is something that I don't think I had mentioned before, but I'm from Detroit. I grew up in Detroit. Okay. And it was probably 95, 80 to 95% Black at that time, back in the, in the 1900s. (laughs) We interacted with many people of, of many different cultures and races in Detroit. It's a very multicultural, it is the majority Black, or it was the majority Black, but it was also very multicultural. We interacted with different races. Some were positive interactions and some were in very negative relationships, I feel like, but we were exposed. And typically when it came to our counterparts of African descent, the look was not a thing. The connection in terms of, hey, we're both here and we we look alike. We have the same ancestor. That was not a thing in my experience. And again, everyone hasn't had the same experience. Someone from other places that are much more multicultural may say, Oh, we have we're we're very connected with our African counterparts or our Caribbean counterparts, you know, and I I would believe them. I mean, everyone is not the same. Every place is not the same. So this is just giving some spotlight to what I experienced. And others Probably experienced as well,
0: I think the whole idea of us having this conversation is hopefully hearing from someone that walked that journey of coming from a perceived place of superiority to realize that we live in a culture in this country where I think color does matter, and the more we see that, the more we grow outside of our little areas, the better we become as a society
1: and I think it's important to highlight that you and I and our growth and understanding meet in kind of the middle of the road where you've now kind of learned and grown and understand like, OK, wow, you know, there are some other experiences that that African-Americans have had in this country that have contributed to you know, a lot of different things. And for me personally, I've grown out of the concept that there is always someone out to get Us and the they. And let's be clear, there are still people out to get us. There are still people who want to try us, even in a professional setting. So don't think that I'm saying, oh, no, racism doesn't exist anymore. And we can do whatever because we, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, I have learned that everything is not tied to race. There are definitely direct connections to things that our race has experienced within this country that have influenced the way that things are today. But that does not mean that it still has to hinder us from doing what we're doing, that we should say, well, they don't want me here, or I don't even see any other Black people working in this field or this particular discipline. So maybe I shouldn't. I do believe that we're capable to do anything that anybody else could do, white, Black, immigrant it's because we're all humans. We are all the same, right? We just So you really don't see color. Well, oh no, yeah kidding. no I don't see color. <laughs> exactly. I no longer see color. No. Not... I'm just I'm messing with but you. it I think it has been a, a growth for both of us and that's what I think is supposed to happen. People are supposed to meet mm-hmm. interact learn from each other grow and come to this central idea that there's there's extremes on either side of of what we're doing but there is a middle ground and there is a little bit of everything that we can contribute to kind of the central our central existence with one another our coexistence rather and finding a way to do that has
0: allowed us to be really good friends to this day (laughs) I did want to give you just the space if there was anything else you wanted to say to wrap us up. I mean, I think we
1: touched on everything. I really appreciate you inviting me to have this discussion. I think I was definitely nervous when you told me the titles of the episode. I was like, oh goodness, people gonna think I'm racist and ignorant and crazy. But I I hope that people got out of this the learning and growth that we both experienced all this time. And I do challenge people to challenge how you feel about people before you really know them. And this is to all races, to all cultures, all ethnicities. When you go into a new space, take the step to actually get to know and understand them and try to invite a level of inclusiveness when you see someone else entering a new a space that's new to them it really does take both sides to build this kind of understanding
0: and it makes the world go around the whole idea of this podcast series is to create balance and I know that the title in itself might not denote that and that's intentional to draw people in it's not always us against them sometimes it's us against each other sometimes we are the perpetrators Again, thank you, Jerica, And I want to let everybody know it's the first, but not the last time. You're going to be hearing and Jerica. She is going to be podcast host for one episode. And we chose to do this because I think she's the only one that can do justice to one of the most derogatory words that is actually being used within the professional pharmaceutical setting. So you guys just look forward to seeing her on another episode. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of They Said What podcast series. If you enjoyed this journey and want to connect further, I invite you to follow me on Substack at PharmaSoul for insightful articles and updates. Also, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, visit my website emeraldcitypharma.com for more resources, or follow me on X at DeanWarris242. All the links are provided in the podcast description. Until next time.